Welcome to the Business Benchmark Group podcast, where you'll learn how to think strategically about your business and discover that while business is not easy, it doesn't need to be hard. With over 20 years experience in turning stalling businesses into thriving enterprises, here is your host, Stefan Kazakis, the founder and CEO of Business Benchmark Group. Hi, I'm Stephen Kazakis and welcome to this week's episode of our Business Benchmark Group podcast series. Today we talk about the backbone of the economy, the backbone of the Australian and almost global economy, small businesses and what they do to continuously elevate and ultimately optimise the opportunity for every one of us who have entrepreneurial spirit to go out and do things. Now, I need you to understand, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it and that is ultimately leading or growing a business. It's not for the faint-hearted, however, it doesn't need to be hard. I look so forward to your feedback on this particular episode as it covers a whole wide scope of, I guess, areas and and, and ultimately focal points for why small business is not that easy. However, it does not need to be hard. It's nightlife. I'm sure you've heard it. Small businesses are the backbone of Australia's economy and rightly so. Their contribution is anything but small. In fact, there are an estimated 2 million small businesses across the country, providing nearly half of all employment. And in addition to contributing to the economy directly, the small business sector is a crucial platform which underpins the efficient operation of a lot of medium and larger businesses. So it's vitally important for anyone running a small business to budget carefully, to have a bit of a plan with a clear direction, if they're to uh, turn a profit and to continue to operate. Uh, with me tonight to share their expertise on the topic of uh, getting a small business back on the track. Uh, Matthew Dickerson, our regular, who uh, is from uh, Small Business Rules. Uh, Matthew, good evening. Hey, good evening, Tony. How are you going? Very good, mate. Uh, Stefan Kazakis, uh, also with us tonight, mate, uh, from uh, Deadwood to Diamonds, your new book. Yeah, good evening, uh, Tony, and uh, good evening, Matthew. Matthew, I'll start with you. I mean, if you're running a small business, obviously you need a plan with a clear direction and destination in mind. Uh, how far should you plan ahead? You know, is it 12 months? Is it 24 months? Or is it uh, next month? Well, it's actually interesting, Tony. You, you say, obviously, you need a plan. You would think it would be obvious, wouldn't you? But, it, but it's not so obvious for so many businesses out there. And And I often talk to people about... You wouldn't go and start getting ready for the Olympics without a training program, or you wouldn't build a house without a plan, but so many businesses start without having any semblance of a plan. They've got a bit of an idea, and they don't have any plan at all. So even in those early days, and it does change, in my opinion, as you go forward from the startup point to when you start to become operational. So from that very beginning, you should have a plan, and, and look, you should have plans in place on, on how you're going to operate over mm. the next month and the next quarter, but certainly you should say when you start that business, what that business is going to look like over the next five years. Maybe not a detailed plan over the next five years, but you want to have some sort of vision about how that business is, but then you really, you really want to get detailed planning over every 12 months. Yeah. Well, what are some of the strategies uh, that perhaps you'd recommend, Matthew, just in that initial phase of, of getting it going and, and keeping it going? Yeah, look, it's it's the financial side of it is certainly an important part of it, but really just knowing some basic things like your goal. What, what is the, the purpose of your business? And, and communicating that goal, if you do have employees or investors, communicating that goal with those people so that everyone knows why this company exists. Some people like the romantic notion of having a small business because they're sick of the boss and they want to tell the boss to, to you know, bugger off. But 
in reality, there's so much more to a business than just doing that. So you, you've got to have that idea to start with. And once you've got that idea, having that purpose, then going down that, that path. Now, some people get a bit scared about that whole concept of a budget and they think of huge documents like Joe Hockey might deliver. But but really, you want a plan that, that I'd say is a couple of pages, maybe five pages long at the absolute maximum so that you can really articulate what your plan's about what marketing plans you've got in place, what your your typical customer. I always like to have a typical customer. You know, this is Joe, our typical customer. He's this many years of age. He's male or female. This is his job so that everyone in your organization knows who you're marketing to. And then as part of that, yes, you want to have some financials as well. I've got to say, I uh, very much earlier in my career had <laughs> a fellow uh, announcer on a station that I was at who used to actually have a cardboard cutout of a woman that he used to put on the panel uh, that he used to speak to because he thought uh, that's the typical audience. Uh, it, it was a little bit scary, I think. Uh, <laughs> he didn't take his doll home at night. It just sort of sat there quietly in the studio corner. Uh, that's not a bad idea, though, Tony. Actually being able to visualise that typical customer, I'm not talking about the, the doll, but being able to visualise a typical customer and having someone that you can point to so you can say to all your staff, mm. all your team, this is our customer. That's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Stefan, you say that as well as having a plan for a budget, a small business also needs a clear destination. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, look, um, ultimately the, uh, the, the plan for today, for the week, for the month, for the quarter is nothing more, nothing less than a bite-sized piece yep. um, that, that's moving you closer and closer to the ultimate dream, the ultimate destination. And, and sometimes, you know, the, the inability to, I guess, paint a picture that is a little foreign or a little un, uh, untried for uh, the individual is where the challenge is, you know, dreaming, dreaming and daring to dream for the destination that's way greater than, than what you have today is, is the greatest challenge. But if people and business owners specifically give themselves the freedom to say, what if I could mm. get there? What does that look like? What would I, be, what would I do if I actually got there? Um, the ability to allow yourself some freedom to, to dream, you know, dare to dream is yeah. the, uh, the starting point. I'm wondering if you don't have great budgeting skills. I mean, is that going to kill your business ultimately, Stefan, or you, 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 you know, can overcome that? Uh, eight out of ten business owners, in, uh, in my experience, and I've been a business owner for over 25 years and have worked with many over the journey, um, eight, eight out of ten business owners have a, uh, a deficiency or a weakness in understanding the numbers. The one thing we do need to understand, though, is... Finance is the language of business, and every decision we make in our business, which generally is a set of words that leads to activities, it would ultimately show up in a report, possibly the balance sheet, and definitely the P&L in the first instance. Mm -hmm. um, so you must understand numbers, but you don't need to be an accountant or a, uh, a CPA or someone that's yeah. an advanced uh, money machine. Matthew, I guess uh, particularly when you're starting out a business, one of the real problems is uh, an uncertainty about money and how much you've got to spend and you know, how successful the business will be initially. Uh, I, I guess one of the real bottom lines is that you've got to ensure that you've got enough money for that first six to 12 months because it can be quite expensive and a lot more expensive than you imagine. Yeah, that's right. And, and actually the number one reason you've hit on, the number one reason that startups fail, Tony, and that is 
a lack of funds. And usually it's not a, a lack of profitability necessarily, it's a lack of cash flow. So having that ability to plan, exactly as Stefan said, the ability to actually just put some basic numbers together. And the biggest mistake people make when they put those first basic numbers together is they sit there and they think of their, their widget they're going to sell and they go, everyone will want these pink widgets. So I reckon I'm going to sell 100 a day and I'm going to sell them for 50 bucks each and, oh, that's going to be fantastic. So they overestimate their sales and forget about some of their expenses, just some of their basic expenses. They, they forget about maybe things like workers' comp or some insurances or how much their rent will be. So... The most important thing in that startup phase is to make sure that you underestimate your sales and overestimate your expenses. You'd be very conservative in that business model. And if it still turns out in your conservative projections that your business is profitable, then you've probably got a reasonable mm. chance of it being profitable. Matthew, for uh, small business owners, you suggest uh, if you're struggling with money, uh, find yourself an accountability partner. And uh, I mean, what do you mean by that? Yeah, one of the things that, that I often say to, to business owners is pretend you're the CEO of an organisation that's a, a publicly traded company and you've got to report to the board on a regular basis, whether it be monthly, quarterly, whatever it might be. And you've really got to then be accountable for what you're doing. Now, that accountability partner, you might get someone to invest 5% in your business or it might be a friend of yours that you say, for a few beers and pizza, I'll, you'll be my board of directors and I'll report to you. And when you've got to articulate some of your plans, and when you've got to start to talk about the future projections in terms of financial projections for your business, and you've got to say it out loud, and you've got to say it to someone else, suddenly some of them sound really bad. And if you can imagine, if you're reporting to a board of directors in a public company, you'd be a bit embarrassed about some of the things you might come up with. So that's that accountability partner, the, the strategy that I talk about is mm. making someone else listen to what you've got to say and see if it, it still sounds like it'll stack up. Stefan, you say that uh, a small business owner has got to, um, well, if you're struggling to make ends meet, uh, at least put it up on a sort of business scoreboard. You know, how do you say this business scoreboard works? Yeah, so you start from uh, the profit goal. Um, even if you're a startup or a, uh, a business that's turning over $20 million, uh, you start up with a, with, with a scoreboard that reflects the profit goal for the next 12 months. And then you go bite-sized piece, a quarter at a time. How are we going to achieve this strategically? And what are going to be the key metrics or the key drivers that are going to help us get there? And that ultimately creates the scoreboard that the team or the individual business owner is aligned to. Every decision they make is, is, is subject to the number one strategic goal being the profit goal for the business. I've seen some amazing miracles being uh, performed in business, in small business, just by the focus being on profit, which in many businesses is a dirty word. And hence, if you put it number one in terms of your scoreboard, you work towards that. Every decision is around that. And ultimately, what turns up is profit and sometimes a little more than what you expected or a little sooner than you expected because the whole business is aligned to that outcome. Mm. Stefan, one of the real problems, of course, is, uh, you know, initial early success. Uh, you know, how do you respond to that? In fact, I have uh, a great mate who uh, started his own small business about five, six years ago and deliberately from home, one person business, no, no assistant. And gradually the business built 
uh, and over, I think, the first two years, um, it got big enough to at least have somebody three or four days a week. Uh, so that was implemented and, and, and built really, really slowly rather than thinking, oh, we need 10 people tomorrow, you know, uh, without even testing the water. Yeah, so <laughs> one of my famous uh, lines uh, in anything I do is, and it's come from experience and some really good learning, Stoney, is I'd rather be bored and rich than excitable and broke. And sometimes we misread the uh, the play, yeah? We haven't been there before. We start reading our headlines and, and somehow our feet leave the ground and we're sort of floating into this euphoria of early success and only to realise a business uh, and, and the world um, ultimately delivers some, uh, some taps on the shoulder for which if you ignore them they'll be they'll become Mack trucks coming the other way so feet on the ground you go slow to go fast clarity consistency deliberate growth stroke slow growth so you stay there for a long time is how you play the game Matthew a lot of businesses are seasonal in other words there's uh, periods where you're going to hit a lot of peaks and then there's uh, a lot of troughs later in the year yeah, I remember doing some work with a toy store, Tony, that had 50% of its income in December. And what an incredible business. You'd think, well, I'll just take a holiday for 11 months of the year. But obviously, it's not quite as easy as that. One of the really important things in that budgeting process is to understand the seasonality of your business so that you can lay out your 12 months. And that's what I was saying before about having that detailed overview of your business on a 12-month scenario. So you can see that, yes, we are busy in December. We'll need more staff in December, we'll need to open up longer hours. There'll be different things in the business and, and know that then comes along January or whatever it might be those quiet times, you might need as many staff. You can reduce some of those variable expenses if you if you possibly can. But make sure you've made enough money in the in the high part of the season to be able to cover you on the low part of the season. And, you, and you, there's no good looking at your bank account saying, wow, we've got lots of money in the bank now and three months later all these expenses have drained it. Having that budget allows you to have that overall twelve-month view. Yeah, uh, is research important before you open, you know, a business? Uh, you know, I mean, I'd, I'm not sure how much research you can do, but uh, you know, just test the market a little bit before you go in. Yeah, absolutely. And and research is is done in a whole range of different ways. You know, some people talk about you can keep planning your business to death to the point where you don't actually open the doors because you're too busy planning it. So getting the right balance between the planning and research phase and actually doing it is really difficult. But sometimes you can just start by trying to sell a product. Sometimes the research can be, I've got this product, I think it's a goer, I've done some basic research, I'm going to get out there and see if anyone's actually interested in this product without going, as you said before, with trying to employ 10 staff on day one, just to try that product out, to try that service out in a small way. Sometimes the most valuable research is, does anyone actually want to buy my product? Mm. And also knowing the competition is an important part of the equation as well, I'd imagine, Stefan. Oh, no two ways about that. Uh, you'd need to know what they had for dinner last night and what colour underwear they're wearing today. Mm. It's one of those awkward situations. Uh, I, I think a couple of months ago when we were talking, uh, I spoke of a, uh, one of the uh, franchise bread stores that uh, moved into a shopping centre near me. And it seemed to be going along really, really well. And they were offering all sorts of incentives to, uh, you know, little bonus cards and all sorts of bits and pieces. Then all of a sudden, one of the supermarket chains <laughs> decided to put in a bakery and uh, absolutely carved them up in two months. And uh, it's one of those things where, you know, that's sort of totally unpredictable, I guess. But, or should it be? Uh, Stefan? 
I, I, th- I think um, comp- no. I strongly believe competition and competition from the highest level is very healthy. I think uh, the opportunity for that alternative business was to think outside the square and uh, put a uh, an entrance sign to that big bakery in the other shop coming into their store. If you know what I mean, mm. you just got to be creative with that challenge. It's brilliant. Yeah, well, it can be brilliant. <laughs> it wasn't so good for them. They just didn't know how to respond. And uh, <laughs> this is part of the problem because, you know, you think, oh, well, they're marketing might. How am I going to come up against that? Matthew, how do you deal with it? You know, it's uh, it, it, the gorilla moves in. Yeah, you do have to make sure you've got something different. You've got to make sure you've got something unique. If If you're in that example, baking bread and, and someone comes in and bakes the same bread beside you, then you might have to change what you're doing or make sure you're offering something different. But it still comes down, Tony, and, and we've talked about this many times before on your program, it still comes down to that personal service. And people will pay more. People will go through other levels of inconvenience, park in a harder to park place if they're getting that personal level of service. So the, the main way that, that I would have attacked that particular one was to make sure that all of our staff knew what the plan was, knew the long-term goals for the business and make sure that if we were going to focus on delivering exceptional customer service, giving advice with the bread that we might have been selling, really make sure that the experience for those shoppers was different and better than the experience in the, in the major shopping uh, environment, the major supermarket. Mm. Stephen, you you think uh, what is also required sometimes is the mentor. Who who makes a good mentor and how do they enhance what you're doing? Yeah, a, a mentor is uh, is no more, no nothing less, as, as Tony mentioned earlier, a sounding board. I mean, that accountability uh, person. But more importantly, it becomes a lot further and deeper entrenched, that relationship. It's someone that you ultimately trust. You know, business is a very uh, lonely and stressful place, and there comes a time when you cannot keep on coming home and uh, sharing, uh, you know, the, the disappointment of another uh day that failed with your husband, wife, your loved ones, and finding someone that, again, on a paid on a paid assignment, on a paid relationship, because it's professional, um, to be that sounding board, to allow you to think through the ideas and the thousands of ideas that we have, and having a plan B opportunity to think outside the square as a sounding board is uh, phenomenal, and uh, I cannot highly endorse mm. it. Matthew, uh, part of the problem, too, is being a small unit at work. Uh, and also, uh, you know, you being a key figure in a small business, it can put a lot of pressure on family life as well. Yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on family life, and, and certainly small businesses, without a doubt, they live their business. Small business owners don't tend to switch off at 5 o'clock and switch back on the next morning at 9am. They tend to live their business, be part of it, and exactly as Stefan said a moment ago, mm. you can come home and bring all that home to the family, bring it home to your, to your partner, your spouse, and that can be very draining on the entire family. So um, it's one of those things, I think, though, in small business, you you do start off as a jack-of-all-trades, and, and sometimes that can be a great asset as you move forward in the business because as you employ people and it grows, you're still familiar enough with the a range of things that happen in a business so you can still... Uh, feel like you're in control of your business to a certain extent so that if any one staff member leaves, it doesn't leave a huge hole in your business because you're still hopefully familiar enough with mm. how to do all of those parts. But yeah, you do have to be a jack of all trades often in small business until you can grow to the size where you can have those specialities. Mm-hmm. Stephen, uh, Joe Hockey, the Federal Treasurer, was on Q&A last night and revealed that uh, both his parents had run a delicatessen when they first arrived from uh, uh, Palestine in Australia. And it just was an interesting story in that, you know, he was just highlighting the fact that how 
um, you know, privileged they did become, but it was, you know, certainly tough at the beginning and, uh, you know, certainly working a lot of weekends and not a lot of family life. Yeah, having uh, been born and bred uh, to a family business for which my parents also were uh, migrants of the 60s from Europe and uh, and, and for, many, for many a day where uh, mum and dad were so caught up in this monster called their business that was just going and running out of control. In terms of it was growing, it, it absolutely absorbed them. Um, totally understand uh, the, the mm. challenge around you know small business, family business, and what it does. It actually, um, I mean, I grew up in that family business. I eventually took it over when it was broken, when they were at semi-retirement, and then were uh, impacted by the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, my my goal once I took over that business after university was to get them back to semi-retirement. And every day for 10 years in that business, Tony and uh, Matthew, I walked in there hating that business because for a very long time I blamed that business, keeping my parents away from me for so many weekends and nights as I was growing up. Yeah. It's one of those situations where I guess at times you can't even... I guess it's like almost a carer role. You you can't feel comfortable even when you're away from the business because you're wondering what's happening. Uh, is that part of the problem? Yeah, oh. and I, th- I think the mobile phone actually has helped small business owners dramatically, Tony. I know many small business owners before mobile phones were, were so commonplace who would go away from a business and, and they would ring into the business. If they'd go for a week's holiday, they'd ring in several times a day from the, the motel they were staying at or wherever they might be just to check up on the business. And I think the mobile phone's given business owners that little bit more freedom that their staff can contact them if they need to, but if the phone doesn't ring, then everything must be okay. I have to say that uh, as the son of a small business operator, my uh, dad an electrical contractor for uh, a lot of years, uh, having a voice similar to his was always a major disadvantage. Sort of, I'd pick up the phone and uh, they'd sort of say, Eric, and all of a sudden I'd be accused of uh, trying to wimp out of, uh, of why I didn't turn up to uh, you know, fix a light the previous day. You know? You're not saying tradies don't turn up on time, are you, Tony? Uh, mate, my dad used to make an art form out of it. It's, uh, you would always... Overpromise and underdeliver, I think, is the best way of describing it. But it is, it is a problem for families sometimes because, you know, on a number of levels, um, it's involving. And it's also, uh, you know, as, uh, as you pointed out, Stefan, sometimes very difficult to pass on to your, to your kids because uh, they've grown up with it. They don't necessarily want to keep it rolling. Yeah, we're, de- we're definitely in a period of, um, you know, that that business that was the first generation, even second generation to a certain degree. I've worked with plenty of business owners where I've actually helped them make the decision to get out. Um, you know, the third generation does not want a bar of it and the whole legacy of making sure grandfather is uh, is going to be okay where he's laying right now and resting, knowing that the business has come to an end or has been sold to another to another uh, business owner or another family. Um, helping, helping people make that decision um, is okay and it's very, very um, liberating because the passion and you need that fire in the belly, regardless mm. of having scoreboards that are going your way. If you don't have that fire in the belly to get upset when Friday afternoon turns up because now it, get, it gets in the way of a brilliant thing called your business. Now, I don't say that literally. I just say that as a mindset. Yeah. If you don't have that fire in the belly, the chances are you won't put in 100% every single day, which means you can't expect 100% to come back. Matthew, that, who, uh, that, yeah. Sorry, Tony, that, that yeah. planning we, we talk about and we've been 
going around about that sort of overall planning process, one of the things that's obviously very important is succession planning. But one of the things that's absolutely vital, I think, when you do start up and you're going through that planning is when you start the business on day one, you start it with a plan to sell the business or, or a way to get out of the business. Now, I'm not saying that you then know in five years' time that's my time to exit, but have it structured in such a way that it can easily be sold or sold piecemeal. And I've seen many times in businesses where what I've recommended to an owner is to sell small percentages to some of his staff with the view that those staff will eventually, over time, buy the business off them because they may not think they can find someone to buy the business for what they want for it. The best the best potential purchasers are the staff themselves, but again, they might not have all the money in one hit. So little things like that to work on how you get out of the business mm. down the track because closing the doors, and I've seen businesses do that where they just can't sell it, is a very depressing state. Also on that, Tony um, and, and Matthew, I guess if that if that's the end in mind, and it should be, no two ways about it, I agree totally on that, you should get some decent, and I mean decent, and you pay for it, legal and accounting advice as to how you should set up your structures. And if at some point you will be selling um, selling out shares or profit distribution, then um, you know, you've got to set up hybrid trusts and what have you to make sure the structures are right for that. Because it can get expensive down the track if you've made a decision mm. after the fact. Well, Stephen, uh, as we know, you know, even within families, there can be disputes and uh, it can be uh, very vivid if, uh, if things uh, get uh, around large amounts of money and uh, who's sharing and who's not. Yes, <laughs> and there's plenty of uh, blood being spilt over those conversations, and in most cases it's not even a conversation. It's just silence because they don't want to upset the uh, the older generation or the, uh, you know, the, the husband or wife that's mm. married into the family. And uh, it's, it's challenging, it's difficult, and working in that environment as much as you can achieve um, some amazing um, goals and outcomes it is very challenging if the communication is broken down because someone thinks that they're working harder than someone else. Matthew, also an issue for small business is uh, you're almost certainly the canary in the coal mine. Uh, if there is a, a down, we've been very lucky. We've had a you know 15, 16 year bull run, uh, but you know for every bull run there's a, there's a downturn, yeah. and uh, you, you feel it very quickly. Yeah, and, and I think that's one of the things. If people wait until the end of the financial year and have a look at their business and say, oh, gee, the economy mustn't be going so well, my business has really suffered, then you're going to be in all sorts of trouble. And so that, that whole process about looking at scoreboards, looking at dashboards, uh, just getting an idea of your business, even even simple things, Tony, if you, if you hate the idea of having a detailed financial plan, at the very least, have a break-even point on a, on a weekly basis. Just look at some of your numbers on a weekly basis and say, did I at least break even? Do I know what my break even figure is? And when you start to see yourself dropping below that a few times mm. in a row, you start to say, right, things are, are not going that well. Is it just seasonal? What can I do about it? And what's happening in the overall economy? And, and am I feeling it first before the rest of the economy feels it? Stephen, there's uh, another issue too, uh, because you're an integral part of the business. Um, do you, uh, you know, pay yourself or do you uh, sometimes just uh, let it roll and let it roll let it roll and uh, sometimes <laughs> you discover it's five years down the track and you haven't earned uh, very much money out of it at all 
Oh, look, and that's such a common occurrence in uh, in small business, and you know the business owners, strictly speaking, um, is the is the hardest working in terms of hours and the least paid. If you think about hourly rate, and hence why the hourly rate identity. When you're a business owner, when you're a business leader, it's non-negotiable. You need to understand where is your highest effective hours and how how often are you striking at at least fifty percent of your time in your week that you have available to sell or create opportunity in the business at that highest hourly rate. Uh, can I also add? The, the break-even um, aspect that Tony um, Matthew was sharing a moment ago, if you're clear about your 12-month profit goal, then if you divide that 12-month profit goal to be part of your break-even so that you know on a weekly, monthly basis, once you've met break-even, it's inclusive of the minimum profit goal for the year, you're going to go a long way to smashing your profit goal. Matthew Dickerson with us tonight from uh, Small Business Rules and uh, Stefan Kazakis, uh, the author of uh, From Deadwood to Diamonds, uh, joining us in our Melbourne studio tonight. Just wondering whether you'd like to talk about some issues. Perhaps uh, you're at the moment uh, building a business, perhaps you are sustaining a business, perhaps you're having a difficulty in translating to the next generation sort of uh, problem at the moment. Uh, Perhaps you've got a, a couple of insights that you'd like to pass on relating to operating small businesses and making them successful. If you'd like to join us, it's a very open forum tonight. Very happy to hear your experiences or hear your questions. Across Australia, it's Nightlife with Tony Delroy. Nightlife. Yeah, quarter to 11, which is a quarter to nine in WA. And uh, with us uh, talking small business type, Matthew Dickerson from uh, Small Business Rules and uh, Stefan Kazakis, the author of a book called From Deadwood to Diamonds, How Small Business Owners Can Come Back from the Brink. And a few, a few of them are probably feeling that tonight. Uh, let's talk to a couple of people. Uh, Keith, uh, you, you wanted to talk about taking advantage of an opportunity for growth. Yeah, I have a, a new business model, uh, right place, right time. I have a couple of um, big corporate contracts, um, but just specific to one state. Um, I'm a one-man business on my own. Um, I virtually look after 6,000 people um, and in the hospitality, entertainment type of industries. And now I've got an opportunity to go national with a couple of very big corporates. And I've had offers of people wanting to buy into my business, but I, I just... I know what the next step is and where can I get help to get very good advice of what to do and so I don't fall over in the next 12 months. Matthew? Yeah, look, a couple of things there. The first part I'd say, or sorry, the second part is where you can get some good advice. And I hope you've already got an accountant of some description that you're doing some work with. And the first place I would always turn would be your accountant because obviously your accountant knows your business best. But one of the things that I would certainly look at in, in that scenario is looking at, obviously, a plan and playing that plan out. And one of the things that I'd, I'd have in that plan is a potential risk. If you've got a couple of big corporate contracts and a, a possibility of a couple of big more ones, and one of those contracts suddenly isn't there anymore, what does that do to your business? In other words, when you've only got a few customers supplying the majority of your turnover, that creates a, a huge risk point. So have they, having those contracts in such a way set up that you, you have some guarantee of a good long-term contract would be absolutely critical to the business you've just described there. 
Yeah, I guess my I, I'm, I do have a good accountant, and uh, he's a pain in the bum, but he's a good accountant. Um, <laughs> but but the, the the problem I've got is I'm I'm working in the business instead of on the business, and I've got big clients that are waiting just for me to follow up and um, with substantial contracts, and I have to get someone else in. And I've had cash offers, but I want someone to come in that can bring something to the business as well. And I, I just don't know what the next step is. You hear of funding from the government, and you hear of advice from the government, but you know where do I access it? You go look on the web pages. You j it's just not jumping out in front of me to say, right, you're a small business owner, come and see us. And here's, you know, we want to, you know, I want to employ staff. I, I need to employ at least five staff. I don't even know how to do that. Stefan, yeah. can you uh, provide some? Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Totally. I guess the, the opportunity sounds like it's real. Um, there's two reasons why businesses hit the wall. One is not enough business, and the other one is too much business. So you're going to have to get very clear as to why you will ultimately take this opportunity on. And do you really need to be the size that the market's predicting for you? So you've got to be clear, do I really need my business to be that size? First question. Second question, if you do, will you be able to cash flow it, the growth that is, for at least 12 months? And if Definitely you can't, then create the profile of the investor and work with your accountant on this or any yeah. other strategic advisor. Work on the profile of the individual or the organisation that you should partner up with that delivers everything that you think you need or you have a deficiency for. Okay, I have I have sent my business plan off and, you know, projections, five-year plans, ten-year plans and whatever off to one agency and they just got back and said, look, we really think it's a great business and X, Y, Z, but in the end, you know, ended up with calamari. So, you know, I <laughs> I don't really, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of scary about, I'm 54 single and, you know, this is my chance and I, it's, it's, it's a great business concept. HR loves it, and you know it, it just fits. It's the right place, right time type of thing. And can I ask um, you a question? Yes. What are you prepared to lose? Well, I've got. Um, I can't really lose out of it because I started with nothing. So you know, I, I can't really lose. I mean, I've got you know ten year contracts with you know with companies, but um, how often are they paying? Pardon? How often are they paying? Monthly. Their, their staff pay, their staff pay a membership fee to be in, in, in the service that I provide for the company. And um, it's it's good. It's a great business model. Everyone that looks at it, and every time I speak to some company, they say, come and see me. And, you know, like I've got a, meet, got a flight down to Sydney, a company's got 28,000 employees, <laughs> you know. In, and in, my in my opinion, a fast-growth business should be company-owned. Okay, well, I'm a, I'm a PDY limit, I'm a company, but it's just me, and that's the problem. When, you, when you're in small business, a lot of times it's just you, and you have no one else to bounce off of. You have no one else to say to you, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? And you just go ahead because you're cocooned with what you think is right, but yeah. that might yeah. be the right thing. And, and so where do you go to find someone that can you can bounce off of and X, Y, Z? It's, so it's so just another, another quick idea. I mean, you can go to business.gov.au and they've got a whole range of how-to guides there. That's a, a government initiative there. But I mentioned the accountant before, but maybe rather than trying to get a partner in and, or get someone investing in the business, you sound like you've got the business flowing through. You may well just go to someone like the Australian Institute of Company Directors and advertise there that you want to create a board. You've got a proprietary limited company already. 
create a board of directors that you would pay exactly as Stefan was saying earlier with a mentor, but create a small board and that board are paid members of a board to give advice about the direction of your business. But you've also got to be prepared to listen to what they say, even if you don't agree with it. Uh, I, I, I understand that. And I, I, my accountant says the same thing. It's not what you've just suggested. And I'd, I'm kind of on the highway. I've just pulled over. So I'd love to be able to get those details off you if I can get them somewhere. Um, but um, yeah, look, any help, but it's just, it's just, it's just frustrating because I know what's there and I know where it can go. Um, but it's just frustrating to take the next step. I get people saying, listen, here's X amount of money. I want to buy into your business. But are they the know. right? Are they the right mix? Yeah. No, they're no. not. You know, not unless <laughs> they're bringing something to the business. And you know, Tony Doyle was to you know shut up his sheets in the radio station and come and work with me. But if uh, if the ABC budgets are bad, I'm, I might be calling you, Keith. Hang in there. Uh, I hope that helped a little bit. Uh, John, uh, you you find that uh, understanding the costs of your small business is really the key. Yes, I really do, uh, Tony. You know, I've been in business now. My wife is 1968. Uh, we bought our first truck, and very early on in my life, I took some advice from a man who, I can't even remember, you know, I didn't know him, he was in a roadhouse over in England, and he said to me, you know the secret of small business? I said, no. He says, knowing what your customer wants before they do. And that is that is so, so important. Like, read the businesses. And, and another thing is, to do your books yourself at least twice a year. Like, I mean, we've got 50 employees now, and we've really grown. We're in the recycling business, the transport side of it. But I still do my books myself twice a year so, so that I understand exactly what's going out. Now, you know, it changes from month to month, but it is so important. And I'll tell you another thing I do, too. And don't get me wrong, I don't get everything right. But I carry a small notebook around me uh, when we go to pies and things like that or, or collectors of transport operators. Mm-hmm. And I listen. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't take it out and write it down. Sorry, but if I go to the toilet or something like that, I, I just write down something that might have, I've heard. Because I honestly believe that you never stop living your business. And the fire in the belly and the passion is what that gentleman said earlier on is the, is the truth. 65 and I've still got that passion for the transport oh, industry. That's, that's beautiful. Matthew? Yeah, look, all those things are absolutely vital. Um, knowing the, the doing the books yourself thing is really about just knowing the expenses, knowing where your business sits. And, and certainly, uh, and I won't mention the brand name, of course, Tony, but on the 30th of June, 1997, the first smartphone was introduced. We all, or so many people, carry smartphones. Now, we didn't know we needed a smartphone before 1997. Knowing what your customer wants before the customer does, that's a classic example of the whole world being changed by one company knowing what, what customers wanted before they knew about it. Yeah, yeah no, that, that is so true. But you know, you know what I've found, don't you? Like, you'll come up with an idea, and the company will go, and I work for a multinational, and the company will go, oh, we tried that before, and it didn't really work. Then, then a short time later, or maybe two or three months later, they'll come back to you and say, hey, look, we've had this idea. How about we introduce this? The one thing you don't say is, I told you that three months ago. <laughs> you go, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's a good idea. You know, it really is a, a lot of smoke and mirrors. It yeah, really is. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So they say, good career move. Thanks for sharing. John, uh, Trevor, you're working for a dying small business. Uh, the boss is really having trouble letting go. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've been going for 44 years. I've been here 37. Um, we've had up to five factories and 150 staff. Uh, we're 24 hours a day. We're down to one factory and 10 staff. And it's in the, it was in the car industry and uh, railway industry and 
uh, you know, um, and unfortunately, a lot of our competitions are all died out um, in the process over the years. But now, even with his accountants, he will not accept that he's got to close the door. And that's really, we're struggling as his work is trying to help him and his wife because it's costing him every week to stay open. Yeah, you because know, they're, they're putting their own money in it. It's just wow, Stefan, uh, you got a, got some words? Yeah, just uh, finishing off a deep breath while I was listening to that. Actually, just it's it's a challenging. You know, it's his baby. Yeah, and, that's the um, problem. Yeah, yeah. Like all, like all our babies, we don't want to uh, throw them out to the wolves, do we? Well, he's, However, in he's, in, he's in his eighties. You know, he's yeah. Else, getting better. So, and you try to help them, but yeah, he just can't let go. He's struggling. Yeah, look, and, and and in saying that, as long as he's, um, it gives him motivation and inspiration and something to get his teeth into every day, as much as we all know it's not going to work for him, mm. at 80 years old, power to him. Well, that's right, you know, it's just, just frustrating in a sense. Yeah, of, the, you know. the, the fact that they're putting their own money into it and, and uh, yeah. it's going south is a, is, a, is a tough call after such a successful business for such a long period of time. You know, you, you can talk nearly you know, three quarters of a million dollars if put into it just to keep it open, doors open for nothing. Matthew? Yeah, it is one of those things that exactly as we've talked about, a small business, and that's obviously been much larger than a small business at times, but a business is just so much a part of that person and a part of what makes mm. that person tick. And uh, mm. it's it's very hard when you've been involved in a business for 44 years to extricate and have you as the individual away from the business. If that business closed its doors tomorrow and he, he chose to do that, then he would feel that he himself was a failure. So it's, it's a very difficult situation. That, I, that I think, is the problem, yes. Yes, yeah. I think that's a problem. And, and there's no easy answer to that. Whether or not it's a, it's a way of, there might be some way of scaling that business back, and it's obviously already scaled oh, back quite dramatically. I, I, I have. To, <laughs> you worry. Yeah, to, to a point where he can just run it as a, as a little one or two-man operation. I mean, somewhere... You can't, he, it's a yeah, problem. Okay. Yeah, well, the ego is always going to be the road in a situation like that, and yeah. there's, there's no easy answer to that. But it might just take some some tough love from someone external to um, to make him realise what's happening. Trevor, not a pleasant situation at all. Very daunting indeed. Thank you for sharing that, uh, though. Um, and I'm sorry to the callers we're not going to be able to get to tonight. But uh, can I thank my guests, Matthew Dickerson from uh, Small Business Rules and also Stefan Kazakis tonight. From uh, The book is called uh, From Deadwood to Diamonds, um, How to Come Back When Your Small Business is Looking at the Brink. Uh, thanks, guys, for being there. Uh, my pleasure, Tony. Thank you so much. Hi, it's Stefan, and welcome back. I guess what a brilliant, uh, what a brilliant conversation. When you think about, it, there's over two million business owners or businesses throughout Australia, which ultimately influence almost half of our total employment in this country. It's definitely the engine room and the backbone of the economy. It's also important to understand, and this is a really, this is a very, very, very important distinction when it comes to business and progression. And how is it that you go from to from to constantly on a 12-month basis, constantly? on a 90-day basis? How do you go from to? How do you optimise your opportunity? It comes down to three key things. Words are good. Stories are great. The numbers never lie. How is it that you're optimising your dashboards and your optics to ensure that you are 
definitely, definitely executing against the plan, ultimately measuring against the execution and thereafter correcting with every execution and improvement and innovative way of continuing to grow a business that will go on to become a benchmark business, a top 5%, top 10% in your industry, whether it's local, whether it's national, whether it's global, in your in your industry. How do you go about doing that? Remember, business is not for the faint-hearted. Business is not meant to be easy. However, it shouldn't be that hard. I'm Stefan Kazakas from Business Benchmark Group, where we are constantly empowering, constantly empowering small business owners and their teams to continuously achieve business and life success. For more information about Business Benchmark Group's coaching, education, and training programs, visit businessbenchmarkgroup.com.au or call 03-9001-0878. If you liked this podcast, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and leave feedback as well. Stefan shares so much value in all his podcasts and we encourage you to go through the archives and listen to other episodes of the Business Benchmark Group podcast. Thank you for listening.